0: Greetings and welcome to Tomorrow's World Now. It's wonderful to have you here. Our topic today concerns the nation of Israel. Here we have a relatively stable democracy in the Middle (coughs) East, and yet for some reason, we'll talk about it today, It seems to be just about the most hated nation on the planet. We had significant events happen recently concerning the opening of, or at least the, the ceremony, concerning a new embassy in Jerusalem. Actually several countries have actually moved their embassies to Jerusalem, are in the process of doing so, followed by demonstrations and sadly a great deal of violence. Why does everyone hate Israel. That is our topic today, and welcome to the program. I am delighted to have my two guests with me today. They're exactly the men I would want to have here to talk about this topic. To my immediate left, we do have Mr. Dexter Wakefield. Uh, He is the one who coordinates all of our business operations here in the Living Church of God and the Tomorrow's World work that we're a part of, and he has written a number of articles that many of you may have read in the Tomorrow's World magazine concerning the Middle East. Welcome, Mr. Dexter Wakefield. Thank you. And to my very far left or right, I'm not exactly sure what that would be. We actually have coming into to us from uh, Washington. Are you in Washington, Mr. Clore? Northern Virginia, Fairfax. Northern Virginia, Fairfax. We have Mr. Ray Clore. Uh, he has actually worked with the United States State Department. He's served almost five years in the U.S. Consulate General Jerusalem, and he brings a great deal of experience to bear on these matters. It's a great pleasure to have him with us. Thank you for being here, Mr. Clore. Thank you. All right, so before I really jump into the topic in particular, specifically concerning why is it that it seems that everyone (coughs) hates Israel, let's talk about the violence that has occurred because we are going to have some viewers perhaps that haven't kept up. I guess it's possible you could be surprised. Most of our viewers tend to be pretty intelligent people that actually do pay attention to the news. And in fact, I don't want to assume too much you might have real questions about this that we won't even know about in the work that we prepared here in the discussion we're going to have please do comment on facebook or youtube let us know your questions we have a very dedicated crew in the control room that will be passing questions on to me so i can pass those questions on to our distinguished guests here so please if you have any question at all about this topic by all means let us know we would love to get to your questions but the question i have for you gentlemen to start off is What took place? Uh, There's not just the United States, a few other (laughs) nations as well, certainly perhaps the most prominent might be the United States. Uh, Embassies are moving to Jerusalem. The United States had this big ceremony, sort of uh, dedicating or opening the embassy there in Jerusalem. And then there was a great deal of violence. Uh, Walk us through what actually took place that day.
1: You know, some of our viewers, let's just do a little bit of background on this. Some of our viewers may not know what Gaza is. There's the Gaza Strip on the Mediterranean Ocean, and some uh, years ago, I guess it's 10, 15 years ago by now, that the Israelis pulled out and allowed it to be self-governing. So Gaza is a self-governing Palestinian, not really nation, but territory there. So uh, the Palestinians had a a free election in, in Gaza, and they elected Hamas amazingly, and put out the other uh, the other Palestinian um, group of Fatah, whoever that was, out of out of power. So they immediately declared war on Israel and there've been hostilities ever since, tunnels going under the fences and all kind of shooting rockets back and forth, bombings, everything. So there has been a state, a low-level, sometimes high-level state of war between the two. And that, right after the embassy was uh, opened there, declared, then that started, that was the beginning of some very serious demonstrations along the border.
0: Okay, Okay. Uh, Mr. Clore, anything to add? I would just add um, that
2: the violence along the Gaza border has been, uh, as Mr. Wakefield said, going on for some time. uh, It's usually instigated by in fact in every case it's instigated by Hamas they are trying to get something and they're willing to expend lives to uh, accomplish their goals Uh, the uh, Israelis are trying to keep order on the border there and they have every right to do so but I I don't think that the, the demonstrations on the border between Gaza and Israel started with the embassy opening in Jerusalem, they have been going off and on for a while.
0: Okay, uh, was there perhaps an intensification perhaps? Or, because uh, I, I have heard different reports of sort of a rallying cry, if you will, that, you know, let's breach the border, you know, uh, something broadcast to those those protesters. Does it seemed like perhaps it was more intense? At the same time, sometimes the cameras aren't there until something gets interesting to the rest of the world, so.
2: Yeah, I think it's quite possible there was a uh, intensification because uh, the Hamas and the, and the Palestinians are always trying to get attention in the world. They feel that they've been abandoned by the United States, by even their Arab allies. So
0: they're always trying to take advantage of any opportunity to gain
2: uh, publicity for the cause.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I know that based on the reports that I saw, I did think it was, it was fascinating. It, Hamas was reporting that many of those killed, not all of them, there were apparently some who were not a part of this, and, uh, but they actually were openly declaring that many of those killed were a part of their forces, as they like to call them. Some would call them terrorists. They were, would call them a part of their, their army or their military. And so uh, they were posting on Twitter pictures of uh, many of the men. But I noticed, for instance, that some of the uniforms and hats had been Photoshopped onto the individuals. Uh, I think one, to make sure they attach them to sort of an army, et cetera. And I'm not necessarily saying, you know, we wouldn't do that to make sure someone is labeled as one of our soldiers. But you could tell in some cases it was the exact same suit, you know, the exact same hat. But they did make it plain that many of the people that were killed were their fighters. They, they felt they were sort of appropriate martyrs for that. So, so that's generally what took place. And Mr. Corey, you may have answered the question I wanted to ask about that. What were they intending to gain? That is, was it just a matter of attention? What do you what do you think their goals were in this effort? Because, to me, when I heard about what was going on, the the outcome just seemed obvious to me. Like I I can't imagine it would have ended any other way, actually, than it did. Uh, when it comes to an organization like Hamas, what do you think they actually intend to gain uh, by by efforts like this?
1: Well, first you have to remember that. Uh, Hamas is, uh, the, or Gaza is a mess economically, because they've declared war on Israel and they're in a the state of war. And of course, Mr. Klor was right when what he said about it's been ongoing all this time. And as you said, just intensified a great deal uh, just recently when they had all the all the shootings and so forth going on there. But uh, there. Uh, they, they are cut off from going back and forth into Israel because there's been terrorist activities between them. Hamas has been labeled as a terrorist organization or, um, from, by the U.S. and other people. They will kill the Israelis anytime that they have an opportunity to do it. So as a result, they're also sealed off by Egypt and all of the, uh, many of the places in between where they used to be able to travel back and forth, they can't go back and get jobs and they rely on Israel. Now you don't the hear election. a great deal of
0: that, right? You don't really hear a lot about Egypt sealing its borders perhaps or, or, or making travel uh, difficult.
1: Egypt has allowed, I think, and uh, Mr. Clark can confirm this, but a few hundred to enter back into Egypt from Gaza. Gaza is a mess economically. They rely on support, uh, international support a great deal. The U.S. has and other organizations have uh, reduced their support. So they're in a very bad situation economically. I think what they want to do is call uh, attention to their plight. And they have drawn, as Mr. Korb mentioned, a lot of publicity to their plight and to their situation there and has a lot of sympathy for the world media okay
2: I, I attended a seminar recently in washington on this issue and uh, the palestinian participant was quite open by saying that the people in gaza as well as the west bank have pretty much given up hope for now of a separate state they're just trying to make their life better under the occupation or under the blockade that Gaza is under so as mr uh, Wakefield was saying yes the Palestinians in Gaza want to have uh, attention, world attention to their, their cause, but they're also trying to get something from Israel, maybe a little bit more uh, movement of fuel, a little bit more food, a little bit more, so- something to make the life of the people easier. So that's what they're trying to do by this uh, assault on the border. Okay. Okay. I think maybe Israel 's strategic, and i 'm speculating
1: as we'll maybe doing some speculating here today, but israel 's strategic um, perhaps tactical purpose here is to show what would happen if they had the West Bank, a full Palestinian state, which would be ruled I guess by um, the Palestinian Authority, which Hamas has rejected mm-hmm. um, so they 're saying look at look at the mess in Gaza, look at the state of war we have in Gaza. Do we really want to have all of that on the West Bank as well. Right. And what would our situation be if that happened? Interesting point, hmm. interesting point.
0: Is there, so from what I hear, there's, there's a matter of calling attention to their circumstances and uh, to achieve concessions of some sort. Mm-hmm. Do either of you think that there was any hope for some of them, because there were known <laughs> fighters and terrorists you know, in that group, identified actually by, by both sides, IDF on Israel's side and, and Hamas on the other. Do you think there was any hope that maybe some perhaps would get in and would be able to cause some kind of uh, some kind of havoc? Uh, I, I think a lot of them have gotten in. They've done it by tunnels. I was about to say I haven't actually seen the circumstances there at the wall, and, and I don't even realize. I don't know personally how how realistic a goal that would have been. You know, possible to get so many, so anybody through.
1: That I, that I don't know. But uh, the Israelis' position was that they were trying to breach to go into the villages on the other side to wreak right. havoc. That was the Israeli position.
2: I, I think that's quite true. The Israelis are concerned about even one or two people coming in because they would tend to be suicide fighters. Uh, the border is pretty secure. Uh, but um, I do think Hamas would have been very happy if there would have been some kind of breach and they could have gotten... 50 or 100 fighters over and, and cause havoc of, of some way, but the probability of that is pretty low.
0: Right, so really it was, for a lot of them, it was sort of understood to be a suicide mission perhaps from the beginning, real potential that, you know, worst case quote unquote for them is we, we die on the border and we advance our cause through the, the public, et cetera. Uh, best case scenario, we actually, you know, sort of take some of them out with us. Such a, certainly a, a terrible circumstance. Okay, so that that's what took place, but let's actually get to the heart of what we were gonna talk about. Why does it seem like everyone hates Israel? Uh, why is it, here we have essentially a stable democracy in the Middle East, uh, generally, even a, a source of uh, technological advancements, a very advanced nation in the heart of the Middle East, doesn't seem to be actively out to cause problems with its neighbors, and yet universally, it seems, well, I say universally, as we'll talk, hopefully we'll have the time to talk there, there are nations, not just the United States and and Britain, but some others as well, that are friends of Israel. Why is that nation so detested? Why is it that so many people so passionately seem to hate Israel? Mr. Kloor, well, any thoughts in particular? Well,
2: if I could just start with a, perhaps a secular explanation, uh, there's also religious and other explanations as well. But I think a secular explanation could be the um, left-wing ideology, which has taken over much of the West, where anything that is Western or European or vaguely colonial in nature hmm. is viewed as bad, and then, especially if you have a Western nation or a Western group of people, like, such as Israel, clearly is a Western um, implant in the Middle East. Uh, that's bad. And if they're fighting a third-world group of people or countries, such as the Palestinians, which are clearly third-world in nature, uh, the the media and the world in general sympathizes with the third world, and they they view the Israelis or the West or the Europeans as the cause of the problem. So I think that's sort of one big macro explanation why so many people, not only in the developing world, but in even the Western world, and intelligentsia at least, and universities, they hate Israel. Mm -hmm. I I, I think that Mr.
1: Clore is uh, really spot on on that. And I've heard it said that they consider Uh, Israel which was founded in 1948 to be a European colony planted Hmm. in the Middle East and uh, because most of the people that came there were European Jews or or from um, Jews that are descended from Europe so they consider it it to be a a colonial endeavor and that is um, a a, a one really good explanation point.
0: okay so so what you're saying is that would help to explain perhaps why some nations say when the u.n makes a large statement against israel and you have other nations such as china and others that that you don't see as a part of uh what might be a religious difference with the nation jumping in and agreeing because it's it's a matter of pushing back i'm trying to paraphrase what you're saying it's a matter of pushing back against sort of a western pushing forward like it's a, like as if it were a western colony and trying to push back on that effort a bit. Is that sort of what what I'm hearing? Yeah,
2: if I could jump in here, uh, for instance, the the case of China. China has very long memories. And China remembers that the Europeans, the British in particular, uh, imposed enclaves in China in the 1800s. And they have a sympathy with other parts of the world where Europeans planted colonies imposed their rule so the Chinese would have a cultural sympathy uh, for the Palestinians and for the Arabs in this kind of situation. And that's even apart from the idea that uh, China is allied with Pakistan against India, India being a, a neighbor and a, and a problem for China in geopolitical terms. So the Chinese want to have good relations with the Arabs, with oil producing states because they're dependent on imported oil. So they have a lot of cultural baggage all wrapped up in this. It's the whole thing about uh, the colonial history that, you know, impacted China, but as well as modern geopolitics and oil.
0: Okay. We, we actually, we will have a question. I think this question is actually going to come up in a bit. So uh, thank you, uh, Kevin, on, online for your question. Uh, we'll be getting to that here in just a moment uh, because I want to ask then some of the things you're saying, they, they, they make absolute sense. We hear a lot of talk about the, uh, well, you've even mentioned conditions in Gaza, et cetera, and some will say, well, th- you're only seeing this because of people who are poor and disaffected, and if only they actually weren't poor and disaffected, there wouldn't be all of this. But that said, doesn't religion play any kind of role? Doesn't actually the religion of, of one side in this conflict play a role concerning the religion of the other side of this conflict? Any, uh, any thoughts in that regard? Does religion play a role, or is it really just a matter of, of geopolitical concerns? Well, it's, uh, I think religion certainly has a huge effect on it. It is a, uh,
1: a Jewish enclave in the middle of Islam, right in the middle of Islam. So uh, the, the Arab countries said that they would destroy Israel if it were ever formed, and they attacked the, the day after or the day of, I think, that it was hmm. actually set up. So there's been a sort of a semi-state of war going on there for a long time. But uh, there, has, there are certainly other reasons. Look at historical. Uh, the Palestinians, uh, that, that name comes from Philistia hmm. because the Romans, when they ejected the Jews from Judea, uh, the province of Judea, and uh, right after the time of Christ, renamed it Philistia for the ancient enemy of the Jews. Hmm. So, and the word Palestine comes from the word, it's an anglicization of Philistia. So uh, th- this conflict has been going on for several millennia, back to the time of the judges in Israel, to uh, 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 David, Solomon, all the way up. They all fought each other, and they're continuing to do it now. So there are very strong religious reasons, historical reasons, the Jews versus
0: Islam, their histories of conflict. All of these things play together. So a conflict that's been going on for a few millennia may not get settled with one meeting or summit or two, right? Uh, it might take a little more than that, uh, Are you're saying? Possibly. Uh, possibly. Uh, Mr. Clore, your thoughts?
2: Yes, if I, if I could just jump in on the sure. religious aspect of Israel, uh, the Jewish religion versus uh, versus Islam. And I guess it should be the Judeo-Christian tradition and understanding. Because one thing that when I've done research on anti-Semitism, it, it, this doesn't really ever come up, but at its very core, Muslims have a different point of view about who got almost sacrificed on Mount Moriah. In the Judeo-Christian tradition, it is Isaac that was almost sacrificed and God gave the blessings through Isaac and therefore through the tribes of Israel and Judah and so forth. The Muslims insist that it was Ishmael who was almost sacrificed. And so therefore all the promises that God gave to Abraham should be assigned and understood to go to Ishmael Including ownership of the land of the holy land and all the other blessings. So the Muslims they say that the Jews uh, Corrupted and I can put that in quotes. They corrupted the scriptures to change Ishmael to Isaac And so when you have a very fundamental disagreement over the revelation of God I don't see that this is going to be settled uh, very easily because what in essence what you have you have two distinct groups of people who have mutually exclusive religiously based claims to the same piece of real estate. And so it's just not going to be solved very easily when you have that fundamental disagreement about over the revelation of God.
0: Right. And actually, this is what addresses uh Kevin question. Kevin had asked a question. Thank you very much, Kevin, for being a part of this online uh, that are we talking about in a sense, the tribe, quote unquote, of, of uh, Isaac and that of Ishmael. And does that really play into this in some way? And I would say you're saying, yes, it really does. Uh, you essentially have so those descended from Isaac and those descended from Ishmael, and how they interpret their roles uh, in the life of Abraham. One side misinterpreting, one side interpreting properly. Of course, disagreeing about that, and that's at the very heart of a lot of this. Is what I hear you saying. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Then uh, let me ask. Then all right, and, and I know there's more we could say on this factor. But I'd kind of like to move out of the national realm. To those of the media and the intelligentsia, and we've actually talked a little bit about this earlier, but I do want to go ahead and bring it up. Someone even asked, uh, Francine asks online, why is there such an anti Israel attitude on so many US college campuses today? And I would add the media. Part of why we're talking about this is when these demonstrations were going on and the facts were still fairly raw, it just seemed headline after headline was all about how uh, Israel kills, you know, these. Palestinians uh, in Gaza. It just seemed like there's, there's this ready mindset amongst the media to blame Israel and be negative about Israel. And I would dare say that it's not a matter of religion directly, at least for the sake of those on the media, or it's not necessarily about a national interest for the sake of the editorial board of the New York Times or, or the Washington Post. So how, how would you address that? What's your opinion about why about why, even just outside of the realm of nations and religious groups, why there is such animosity uh, against Israel.
1: You know, one of the things, I, it's a real head-scratcher for me to try to explain that in secular terms. I've seen a lot of different explanations for it, and I imagine Mr. Clore has as well. Uh, I'd like to speak to the spiritual explanation of it, because that's the one that really underlies it. Um, Mr. Clore mentioned um, the Judeo-Christian, I would say the Judeo-Christian ethic in this case, would be the controlling thing. It's based on the Ten Commandments, the law of God, God's divine law. So, the Bible says that the carnal mind is enmity to God, mm-hmm. that in the, the people who are, have these oracles of God, who are in control of the Holy Land and so forth, there just seems to be a natural, built-in animosity to that, perhaps, I think because of uh, the Bible and the law of God in it. But I doubt that anyone who has it really understands why they have this animosity, hmm. why they feel this way. That would be an underlying spiritual reason from my point
0: of view. Okay, uh, Mr. Poore, any comments?
2: I would just repeat, I think, what I mentioned earlier about left-wing ideology on campuses where um, journalists are trained. Uh, it's, it's the whole thing, blame America first. Uh, America is the f- cause of all the world's problems. The West, Western philosophy, uh, colonialism, all that is, is strongly taught to journalists today. Plus, you know, people do like the story of the underdog fighting against the overwhelming rich person. And Israel is rich and advanced and it's Western and the Palestinians are poor and they're third world and they're not advanced. So. That tends to garner sympathy among a lot of journalists.
0: Okay, uh, let me. Uh, all of that makes sense. I want to actually, because we did some show prep yesterday, and I want to see if uh, want to see if y'all, we'll double down on one of the comments that was made. We hear a lot of evangelical groups. I won't mention any particular names, but talk about how much they they love Israel. Uh, there's a certain identification, you know, with Israel in that regard. It's funny. A lot of actually uh, Jews in Israel. I've seen an interview about this where it's pointed out, you know, a lot of these people that say they love you believe you're going to hell, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. And they say, oh, yeah, I guess so. But is it possible, I just want to ask your opinion, that there's an element of the enemy of my enemy is my friend in the sense that, well, I guess it's a little backwards about that, but there's such an irritation with the left in this particular case concerning uh, evangelical thinking in the United States and the Western world in terms of a conservative Christian thought, if you will, and how that's often identified with Israel. And so anything identified together like that, really, then clearly they both have to be bad. Do you, th- do you think there's any particular role that might play, or maybe not much of one? What are, what are your thoughts?
1: I think our evangelical friends uh, are very interested in the prophetic aspects of the, of the Middle East. Right. In my lifetime, we have seen prophecy actively fulfilled in the Middle East. Would you like to hear one that's been fulfilled? Sure. Ha!
0: Oh, I thought <laughs> Mr. <you would. laughs> Wakefield about to tell us prophecy fulfilled I thought, I thought you would This is uh, Zechariah <laughs> like I'm going to say no you know, <laughs> to a question like that
1: Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 6 In that day I will make the governors of Judah Like a hearth of fire among the wood Like a torch of fire in a sheaf And they shall devour the people all around On the right hand and on the left And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again In her own place Now everyone who's listening to this well, they've seen this happen. It's just a matter of history. It all happened as a matter of course. But that was prophesied thousands of years ago, Hmm. and it's just happened in our lifetime. So we're seeing a lot of these uh, prophetic things uh, coming up. We're also seeing uh, prophecies beginning to be fulfilled where it says that all the nations of the world will be gathered against it, which seems to be the case. The the United Nations, if they have a, a vote, They will vote against Israel almost wholly every time. I'm sure Mr. Kloor knows about that. I wonder if you saw um, Ambassador Nikki Haley's press release yesterday. You may not have seen it, uh, Mr. Kloor. But uh, it says that the UN Human Rights Council adopted five resolutions condemning Israel. At the same time, they adopted only one resolution each against North Korea, Iran, and Syria. Terrorist states, Iran and others, and they are they're focusing all of their time and energy and condemnation mm-hmm. on on the Israelis. There just seems to be this mindset of the world gathering against it, and um,
0: this could lead to a lot of interesting action in the very near future. It is interesting. A lot of it, it definitely inspires a lot of passion uh, in that sense. Uh, Mr. Kloor, <clears throat> any 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 thoughts?
2: I, I think what you said about. Um the right-wing being allied, sort of, with Israel, uh, I think it could excite opposition from left-wing journalists, and journalists are almost totally left-wing, because journalists also don't really believe in God, and so they'd like to make fun of people who believe in God, and so right-wing or religious people who believe in God and have biblical values uh, are a source of constant amusement, and sarcasm for uh, most journalists. And when you connect it with Israel, where there clearly is a nexus between uh, geopolitics but also religion and prophecy, uh, I think it just it just brings out in many journalists their uh, skepticism toward God, skepticism toward religion, and that tends to reflect itself in negative um, journalism.
0: right. And that makes a lot of sense. So from what you're saying, I would take it that, uh, part of what we're seeing with the media and such is that it's just part of the larger overall trend in terms of this sort of cultural war that, uh, that's going on. I want to add, we had an interesting comment on uh, YouTube, actually, concerning the fact that, uh, at least according to this commenter, the people in Israel today are heathens, they hate Jesus and the gospel, God's people are Christians only. Uh, I would just invite whoever happened to make that comment that they might want to check out our booklet on what is a true Christian. And uh, uh, do you believe the true gospel? I think you'll actually find uh, uh, that word heathen might actually be a lot more elastic even uh, uh, than than you might think. In fact, mentioning booklets, I will mention one that's very relevant to what we have today, which is we have a booklet on the US and Great Britain in prophecy. And I wanna mention that for the sake of of what I'm about to say, because Mr. Wakefield, you mentioned uh, the prophetic elements that are being fulfilled today and will be fulfilled in the future. Uh, One of the facts of history, is that while the Jews are a part of Israel, they're not all of Israel, right? So when you see Israel in prophecy, that's not just the Jews in Judah. And so when you see prophecies concerning Israel, it actually concerns quite a number of nations, right? That's correct. And In the time of Rehoboam, um, back in the days
1: of ancient Israel, uh, the northern ten tribes split off and formed their own nation under Jeroboam. And uh, then Judah, the kingdom of Judah, had its own kingdom, and Israel had its, it's called Israel in the Bible. They fought many bloody wars against each other. Israel went into the Assyrian captivity, and Judah went into the Babylonian captivity. And the nations have been separated ever since, Israel being lost to history, largely not completely. But okay. Judah, having a history uh, that's well-documented,
0: um, is, is, of course, well-known to everyone. Okay, so that's that's an important aspect of prophecy. And I would say that because sometimes people get the these crazy ideas that even the people in Israel are the Jews somehow aren't a part of Israel. I would just happily say that's wrong. Uh, no, Jews are a part of Israel, but they're a part of Judah, and there was more to Israel than that. So if you haven't actually seen that booklet, you are missing out and you can't possibly comprehend prophecy without understanding the fullness of the identity of Israel. And as we steer towards the close of today, I'd like to, start leaning towards a certain kind of positive note, uh, maybe geopolitically and then uh, more broadly. The title is, Why Does Everyone Hate Israel? And yet we are seeing undercurrents of, say, in, in the upper <coughs> levels of certain uh, Arabic governments, etc., a little more willingness to uh, at least make friends, right? Uh, at least Saudi Arabia, I think. I've, I've read some articles saying that they're far more interested in possibly t- putting a certain amount of bygones as bygones and actually having some kind of working relationship with Israel. Uh, Mr. Clore, can you comment to that? Is that a phenomenon that that you have seen? And can you address why that might be the case?
2: Yes, uh, the Saudis are pretty pragmatic people. They're a fairly small population group, but they have a lot of oil wealth. They are Sunnis. They are the guardians of Mecca and Medina. And the big... Uh, competitor in the Gulf area is of course Iran and Iran has been trying to develop nuclear weapons they have become they've tried to become the regional hegemon in the area so the Saudis are looking for help against a bigger foe it is clear that Israel is not expansionist Israel is not trying to take over other territory but the Iranians are clearly trying to project power in Iraq, in Syria, and now in Yemen. And so the Saudis are looking to try to uh, make secure one flank of, the, uh, of their uh, country, and they're trying to get help uh, against what they view as a bigger foe. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that in the future they won't go back to the problem of Israel, because there is still that fundamental difference between Islam and Judaism. Uh, but for the moment, yes, the Saudis are. are more concerned about Iran than they are Israel,
0: right? So there's there's pragmatic concerns that perhaps can be addressed in the short term. Uh, that might even be you know, Bible might talk about how people might say peace, peace, but deep down there really isn't any any peace. And these more fundamental concepts concerning Isaac, Ishmael, uh, those things haven't been resolved by when people are pragmatically taken care of. And prophecy is still mm-hmm. prophecy. I will be wrapping up here real soon. Let me give both of you the opportunity. What would you like our uh, viewers to walk away from this program? They've been watching on their phones and on their, on their computers. What would you like them to leave with concerning this particular topic? Uh, how about uh, uh, Mr. Wakefield, why don't we start with you?
1: Mm. Well, I do want to mention that the Living Church of God that sponsors this program uh, doesn't take political positions right. on this. We do comment on these things, though. Uh, it's really kind of easy for us to... Look at it though, because we know how it all turns out.
0: Right. Right. You don't (laughs) have to be political. You can be biblical and know,
1: right? We we went to the end of the book and read it, and we (laughs) know how it all turns out. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God, has told us what will be the final outcome of this, and it is all prophesied. Christ returns, um, the Jews, all Judah, and all of Israel uh, return to their place. I do want to mention we have these booklets. If If you want to know too, you can try the, the, US in, the Middle Eastern prophecy and the 14 signs of Christ's return on our website, of tomorrowsworld.org, and you can see these things and find out in detail
2: what's going to happen. All right.
0: Thank you, Mr. Wakefield. And Mr. Clore, any final takeaways you'd like to make sure our, our viewers have? Uh,
2: thanks, yes. I, I would have two. I think the first, I would just like to underscore that <clears throat> fundamental difference between who got Almost sacrificed in Mount Moriah, Isaac or Ishmael. That is a fundamental disagreement between Islam and the Judeo-Christian ethic heritage, and that underscores feelings of who really has the right, the legal right, the historic right, the religious right to that piece of real estate. So I think that's very important. But I think, secondly, I think we should all remember what it says in Genesis 12:3, where it says that those who bless you it's talking about abraham and abraham's descendants those who bless you i will bless those who curse you i will curse and i think with our understanding of the bible we should be ones who would be supporting and blessing israel and the descendants of of israel in other words the, the jewish people there in in the middle east and we should be supportive in every way and we could just look and see what happens to those who curse them they are they don't end up very well so i think we should try to end with a blessing and support uh for israel
0: well thank you very much mr clore and that actually does remind me as as we wrap things up we talk about the title was why does everyone hate israel and these events have shown that not everyone does uh based on exactly what you just mentioned mr clore uh guatemala of all things also moved their embassy to jerusalem And their officials specifically cited the scripture you just mentioned, Mr. Clore, uh, that they want a part of that blessing. And and they know that those who bless Israel will be blessed, the descendants of Abraham, and those who curse it will be cursed. Now, that was a fascinating development. And for those of you out there that like to participate in that as well, you don't fully appreciate that particular passage unless you know the full identity of exactly who compromises Israel. I'd encourage you to check out our website at tomorrowsworld.org to. Find out for yourself, and please come back. It's been a wonderful program. Thank you, Mr. Wakefield, and thank you, Mr. Clore. And uh, we do hope you'll come back next week, Thursday at 3 o'clock. Same time, same channel, as it were. It's been a pleasure to serve you today.